uh, this Lent, we are in Lent, we've been journeying together, and we are journeying together not only towards uh, Easter and the cross uh, and the life and the hope of the resurrection that comes uh, beyond it, but also we're journeying with and through the scriptures. We're sort of, Sundays, we're sort of stopping together. It's like we're off on our little journeys, and then we come together uh, as a family and, and, and pause and reflect on uh, the scriptures, uh, and we're really thinking about and picking up the threads of justice as they're woven through the fabric of the pages of the Bible. And we're drawing from and, and sort of following through with the Archbishop of Canterbury's book uh, for Lent, uh, which is called Embracing Justice, written by Isabel Hamley. And uh, last week, we, or a couple of weeks ago, we looked at justice and the creation accounts from the book of uh, Genesis. Last week, uh, we looked at justice um, and the Exodus, and this week we're going to take a look at justice and community. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, and the words should miraculously appear on the screen behind me. This is 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's just go down to verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. So then, though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. For the Lord's sake, be subject to every human authority, whether to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Uh, one of the best known uh, verses, uh, best loved verses about justice in the Bible is, is the oft-quoted Micah um, chapter 6, verse 8, which says this, He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness or to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And it's, it's a great verse. Uh, and what's great about it, it captures this whole relationship between justice compassion and mercy on the one hand, uh, you know, to do justice and 
to love mercy, to love kindness. And so that's on the one hand. And then worship on the other, to walk humbly with your God. But just like any Bible verse, it's really easy to just pull it out and lift it off the page and take it out of the context of which it was intentioned and originally written. And yes, Micah is, is certainly addressing individuals. Um, and individuals have a, a role to play in what doing justice and what loving mercy and what loving kindness and what walking humbly with God actually looks like in practice. But, but principally, he's addressing a community of people. It's the people as a whole who are to do justice and to love mercy and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. And that's sort of what I want to try and look at this morning. How um, might we do justice as a community? What might justice look like for us as a community, as a church family, as the Southwest London Vineyard, uh, which is one of thousands of vineyard churches from all over the world. How might we think about doing justice, about loving mercy, loving kindness, and walking humbly um, with our God? Start with, let's have a look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. The Exodus narrative that we looked at last week pretty graphically, I think, illustrates what happens when we don't see the other first and foremost as made in the image of God, which is what we looked at in the first week when we were looking at the Genesis, um, book of Genesis and the creation accounts. And I haven't got time to recap it now. Um, it was an amazing talk, as always, but um, you can listen to it on the podcast. But uh, that's a joke, by the way. Um, in case you don't get myself deprecating humor. Uh, but the exodus isn't, isn't only about the end of slavery for the people of Israel. Um, it is about the end of, the, of slavery for the people of Israel, but it's also about the start of something new. Uh, it's an invitation to live as the people of God, shaped by God's character of holiness. And the theme of holiness comes very clearly and strongly through certainly the first five books of the Bible um, as, a, as a kind of foundation. And so the people are called out of Egypt, out of Egypt, and they're called out of slavery. But at the same time, they're being called into a new identity as the people of God. And so in this move out of Egypt and into this new identity, what, we've, what we're starting to see is, is sort of both sides of the same coin, as it were, of justice in action. Firstly, seeing justice as the calling of people, calling of a people out of oppression and injustice. And then secondly, seeing a new kind of justice being done in and through the new community that they've been called into. Um, maybe this will help if you, can, if you can cast your mind back to the very first week uh, that we started looking at these themes of justice uh, in this series around Lent, when we looked at the Bible project of justice. Does that ring any bells with any of you? You may recall that um, in that video that we showed, it's the righteousness of Jesus. And in the video, it's sort of demonstrated by that white sash of righteousness that calls people. And literally, 
pulls people out of um, oppression and injustice. And, and do you remember it was all about levels, and it levels the playing field, as it were. But you may also recall from that video um, and throughout certainly biblical history and really throughout history in general, far too often it's the oppressed, once they step into this newfound freedom, far too often they themselves become oppressors. And again, from that video, you may recall people sort of getting sticks and, and shoving other people's platforms down and pushing them down, trying to make them less than themselves, less uh, than the other. And it may come as a great surprise that, do you know what, this isn't the plan. That wasn't the plan. That's not God's plan for justice. Having been brought up out of oppression and justice themselves, the Israelites are, are now to form a new community of justice that reflects the holiness of the character and nature of God. And as it was true for them, the same thing is true for us as a people. And so the first thing really is as a community founded and established in and through the blood of Jesus and the freedom that he has given us in and through his life and his death and his resurrection, just like the Israelites being brought up out of Egypt is that we too have a new identity. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Okay, so that's fine. We can, we can just about live with that. What does that mean? You know, okay, so we have this new identity, sort of so what, and now what? Well, the difference it makes is that we have a new purpose. Have a look at verse 12. It says this, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. Again, I haven't got time to go into it all now, um, and when you discover what it is, I don't have time to go into, I think you'll be relieved. Um, because for the Israelites, what follows on from the Exodus um, are, or is the right riveting read that is um, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Yes. <laughs> Preach it. Um, now, I understand that they're tricky. I get that most of us have never read them. Um, we say that we have, but numbers, really. Um, honestly, uh, I, I get that they are not the right, the, the, the most riveting of reads, you know, unless you've got a thing about mildew um, and whether you should be wearing clothing woven of two different kinds of fabric. I am taking notes, by the way, as to how many of you are wearing different kinds of fabric this morning. But in essence, what some of these, and two areas, they are, without question, some pretty weird rules and regulations. In essence, what it comes down to is how the Israelites were to live out their new identity in practice. And so it's in these texts from Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy that, that set out many of the principles, if you like, for how the people are to live. And um, one important thing to note about many of these rules, uh, even though they sound strange, very strange to us in the 21st century, is that one of the common threads between many of them is that there's often this interplay between 
people, God, and the land. People, God, and the land. And at the center of it all are just relationships for everybody. Uh, so as the people are being called into this new identity, they're, they're to learn as they're called out of Egypt and, and into this new identity as the people of God in, with this newfound freedom, they're to learn how to organize themselves in new ways and a new way of doing things. They're to put in place new ways of doing things that would enable justice to be at the very heart of the community. So that they're living under a different, a totally different economy. They're living not under the economy of Egypt that we looked at from Exodus, they're living under the economy of God's kingdom. Totally different. And Although the law chapters of the Old Testament are, truth be told, rarely anyone's favorites, um, from Exodus to Leviticus and into Deuteronomy, pages and pages record these different directives for how the people of God might organize themselves in relation to God, in relation to one another, and in relation to the land in which they find themselves. Now, most of those texts seem very alien to us now and and truth be told there is no easy answer as to how they might be relevant to us now you know we look at them and we're reading some of the laws and we're saying well hold on that doesn't make any sense we've got completely different values um, now we're from a completely different time a completely different place we perhaps have a completely different understanding of what it means to be human that's true however what we can do first of all is not just ignore the stuff and go well this is all bonkers so i'm just going to skip uh, the first you know five books of the bible and just get onto the good stuff um, perhaps instead we're supposed to and we're invited by the spirit of god to read some of these more difficult passages with an openness to how god was working in and through his people back then, and then find ways together to lay those stories alongside our stories in our time, in our culture, in our context, and ask how might some of these concepts or ideas play out in our context today? How can we together as a community remain faithful to the principles behind some of these original rules, even if we don't remain faithful to all of the rules and the actual rules themselves. So maybe it's not the end of the world if we are wearing clothes made of two different kinds of fabric. But what was that about? What's the principle behind that? What might that look like for us today? And so these Old Testament laws are really important in, and I think, laying some of the framework of the covenant relationship between the God of compassion and grace and these people who've been called out of captivity and into freedom. And, and yes, we can get stuck on some of the strange and utterly bizarre elements of some of those rules and regulations. But at the same time, we do need to remember that we're, we're not living in that specific time. We're not living in that specific place. We're not living, I don't know, whatever it was, you know, 1,300 years before um, Christ in the ancient Near East. But merely by way as a starting point, as we consider what and how justice might look like for us as a community of people we have ourselves been called up out of our own egypt and into his glorious light and so perhaps um one peter 
to verse 12 might be as good a starting place as any for us as we reflect on what this might look like for us. And the exhortation there is conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that though they may malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. And so perhaps as a church, we need to be asking ourselves, are we conducting ourselves in such a way that even though the people around us, be that at the school gate or in our workplaces or in the people down the road from us, our neighbors on our streets, wherever it is we come across people who aren't the people sat next to us here, um, even though we may be around people, they may not share our faith or our perspective, they may even think us barking mad or as suggested here in Peter, even worse. They may malign you as evildoers. Um, that together, as a community with a new identity, we are living in such a way that no one, none of those people can get away from the fact that those people there, they're doing these incredibly honorable deeds. And as a result, they themselves begin to glorify God because of them. And so as we begin to imagine what might the framework be that we adopt in order to, as Micah puts it, do justice, love kindness and walk humbly with our God, perhaps uh, committing together as a community to conducting ourselves honorably seems like a pretty low bar. But maybe starting there is, isn't a bad start. That's, that's not a bad springboard. Can we agree as a community that we are going to conduct ourselves honorably? And then um, the question then becomes, how might we do that? Like, what might that look like? Well, uh, the third thing is this new possibility. Have a look at verses 16 and 17. As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Sounds like something from Star Wars, but we'll just move on from there. But as, because again, it's like, what does that mean? Well, you can't just ignore it. It's like, that has to mean something in our context and in our day. But like, how do we grapple and wrestle through that together to understand what that might look like? As we work our way through the scriptures, uh, the New Testament teaching on justice really echoes everything that we've seen um, from the old. Things like, we see it across uh, the New Testament and throughout, uh, supporting those people in need, providing basic necessities, showing hospitality to strangers, a care that goes beyond the community of faith, a care that includes the community of faith, but goes beyond the community of faith. And it goes and is extended to strangers and to widows and to orphans, to prisoners, to those who are mistreated. You see that all the way through the New Testament. You see it all the way through the Old Testament, actually. And we looked at some of that when we were talking about our series on migration and, and welcoming the stranger. But the book of Acts shows the community of faith uh, as being one that takes care of the vulnerable in such a way so that there was no needy person among them. And as you read on through the New Testament, um, it would seem that things like borders or difference racial difference, gender, all these things, difference of any kind, are just no 
barrier for the call to justice and compassion. But as easy as all of this may sound in theory and in principle, the, the reality is, is actually not necessarily that easy in practice. That we should do this is really not the issue. How we actually do this and who is responsible for it and a whole bunch of other things, that can often prove to be much more of a challenge. And so as servants of God, living as free people, how might we honor everyone? How might we love the family of believers? How might we fear God? How might we honor our equivalent of the emperor? Well, it's not always easy, as I said, not least because, and this may come as a great surprise, we don't all agree on everything, even when it comes to matters of justice. Uh, one of the very many things that we love about South West London Vineyard uh, is that in some ways, we're a pretty broad church, and there's likely to be as many different, probably fairly strongly held views about any number of things as there are people in the room. That's a kind of a given. And while that's great in so many ways, we love that diversity, we love that um, um, opportunity. Uh, it also presents a serious challenge as to how we express our differing views and our differing perspectives, whilst at the same time honoring everybody and loving the family of believers. Um, some of you, just for example, I don't know, um, some of you may have a view on, for example, the government's policy on Ukrainian refugees. Uh, not that you have issues with Ukrainians in any way, shape or form, but you might ask, why haven't we done the same for Syrian refugees or Afghan refugees or those in Myanmar and countless other places? Uh, you may have um, those views. You may think those thoughts, but you may not know how to articulate those thoughts. You may not know how to share those thoughts. You might be sat here thinking, I have these views, I have these opinions, I have these thoughts, I think they're okay, but I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say them out loud because it might not sound very Christian or something, so I'll just don't say anything. Uh, more likely, uh, there'll be a number of you, um, for example, who passionately believe that same-sex relationships of every kind, of any kind, should be celebrated by the church, and you, for the life of you, cannot get your head around what the issue is. Like, why is this even an issue? You're sort of scratching your head, dumbfounded, going, what is wrong with people? For others of you, um, this issue and this subject would be a fundamental issue of orthodoxy, and you would have very strong views about it. Probably, in reality, there are most of us, or many of us, who don't even know what we think on the question of same-sex relationships. Well, these, and trust me, many, 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 many other things besides, these are justice issues that together, as a community of believers, we really do need to try and find ways to navigate our way through. 
rather than having an environment whereby everyone's sitting here thinking, I think this, I feel this, but I better not say it, right? And then it's all just kind of hidden. It's like, how do we find ways to express some of those things and talk together in openness as a family so that together we can chart a path and forge our way through to what justice might look like for us as a community of believers. Uh, and that's one of the reasons, really, that we're trying and attempting to do this, um, season, this series on justice. Uh, so that, and it, uh, trust me, it's not been easy. We thought, this is oh, great, like a walk in the park. Pfft, actually not. Um, it's so that we can bring these kinds of issues to the fore and find ways for us all to talk about them, honestly and openly. But that, trust me, is really not easy because, truth be told, um, certainly speaking personally, we're not actually that good at having conversations, if we're honest. Um, two monologues do not a dialogue make. I am really good. I mean, any of you who've ever spent more than 15 minutes with me will know that I'm actually very good at monologue. I mean, look, it's just fantastic. I and mean, this is the way the world should be. I should have a microphone and everyone should just listen. And so it's easy. We can go out for a drink and it's really easy for me to tell you not only what I think, but what you should think too. And often what happens, depending on who I'm having a drink with, you will probably do exactly the same thing back to me. And you will have your own monologue, which is telling me what I should think. And, and maybe if we've been successful, we'll agree, uh, or we'll disagree well, or who knows what happens. But um, often, if we're honest, many of our conversations, and I am 100% more guilty of this than any of you, um, many of our conversations are actually monologues where each of us expresses our own opinions and our own thoughts, really with the sole intention of winning the other over to our way of thinking. As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. That's that thing. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Um, there's something, I think, in here for us around, first of all, learning how to communicate well. Uh, it's something I definitely, definitely need to learn, and perhaps we might go on that journey together. There is, I think, an invitation from the Spirit of God for us as a church community to learn how to dialogue genuinely and meaningfully so that we can really hear one another. And I think... And our sense, Kate and I, as we've talked this through and as we've prayed about this, our, our sense is this is potentially going to help us as together we work out what justice looks like for us as a church community. And so um, we kind of like, we, we kind of get the idea of that, but then we're like, well, what does that, what does that mean? How do you do that? And the truth, the answer to that is we don't actually know, right? But as a starting place, and it really is just a starting place. Next term, um, Kate and I are going to be starting, a, a running a, 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 a short course. A, it's like a small group, like a course thing. Um, and it's called Difference. Uh, it's been put together by the Archbishop of Canterbury 
and it focuses on three um, reconciling habits. And the three reconciling habits that form the basis of this course and then the ongoing conversations around it are first of all, be curious. The second is be present. And then the third is reimagine. Be curious, be present, and reimagine. It's the sort of foundation building blocks of how we might engage in conversation one with the other. And, you know, the curious element is, is, is fairly self-explanatory, and it starts with this idea of just being interested, genuinely interested in the other. How, how often are we actually curious about the other and what has brought them to this place or this position in their life where they have this opinion or they have these views? Are we secure enough to be able to be curious and interested in the other? Or are we just wanting to prescribe and dictate what and who they should be? Um, the idea of being present is about, about being authentic, I think, and being open in that moment, in those conversations, and being receptive and humble. And the truth is, you know, we're all insecure in, in some way. We're anxious about many things. But when we can come to a place and a space whereby we're able to be authentic about some of that insecurity and some of that fragility that we all have, have you noticed that everything, the temperature starts to drop and everyone starts to relax? And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually am I'm a bit anxious about that too, or I feel a bit insecure too, or I, I don't really know what I think. And everything starts to move in a different direction, and so it's like I don't need to prove that I'm better than anyone else, or that I'm right. Instead, we all just start to feel welcome, sort of just as we are, and accepted for who we are, and it means that there's more of an equality of status and that's, that, that can start to have a direct impact on the way that we're relating with one another so that um, proper bonds can form between us. Um, and then as we uh, reimagine together, having had that dialogue and that conversation, we can start to rebuild and reform and think, okay, what might this look like? It's effectively um, doing the stuff of justice together, helping people to see um, how things could be different and then together finding ways to make it happen. Uh, the word uh, religion apparently comes from the Latin um, religare, which means to bind together. And, um, you know, for centuries, there are all kinds of challenges with religion. Uh, many of us experienced those uh, firsthand. However, for centuries, one of the good things about religion has been that it has connected people together in their communities. Uh, for 2,000 years, the church has been gathering together people from different walks of life. And it can be a really good space for this to happen. The church is supposed to be a group of people that cannot be explained sociologically. It, you know, it should be that it doesn't make sense that I'm really sat next to the person, I'm, apart from your spouse, perhaps. That makes perfect sense because you're married to them, if indeed you are. But, you know, um, the person around you, there are people around you that you may not normally come into contact with. But at its best, it involves authenticity and equality of status and shared experience. 
however, um, everything that's good can go wrong. Um, and divisions in the church, as we all know, and we've probably ourselves experienced uh, much to our pain and detriment, um, division in the church can emerge around all kinds of different axes, around educational levels, around who's included or excluded from leadership positions. Uh, is it, um, what, what do we think about gender? What do we think about race? So many, what do we think about people in our community who are in same-sex relationships or are same-sex attracted? What do, we, what do we do with that? How do we feel about that? What do we, how are we behaving towards that? Uh, Martin Luther King, famous, the junior, famously re referred to Sunday at 11 o'clock when congregations of churches gathered as the most segregated hour in America. So what can we do? Well, firstly, I think we need to um, recognize the, 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 the great gift, the precious gift that we have in, 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 in having a space that can appeal to a diverse group of people. And would that we as a congregation were more diverse than we are. And that we can then come together as a family, as a fellowship, as a community, and work those things through. Secondly, um, perhaps we need to be asking ourselves maybe some difficult questions around how do we ensure that as a church, as a church community, we're not just appealing to one type of person. You know, things like who's up the front? You know, I'm sorry it sort of feels at the moment it's like always like me. I'm desperate to get off this platform. Um, but who's, you know, who's up the front? What language are we using? What language do we use as a leadership and as a church community? And um, how are we actually honoring everyone in practice? Do you, as a member of the congregation, feel honored or not? And if not, what might we need to do to change that and, and address that? And can we have a conversation and a dialogue around that and around many other things. Perhaps we need to be learning how to dialogue, not simply just to try to convince one another of our way of thinking, but actually dialogue in such a way that we are being curious, we're being present, and then together we can reimagine what the future might look like. And so um, to kind of help us with that, we're, we're embarking on this um, discovery, uh, uh, not discovery, difference course, um, we'll be sending out more information about that um, in the next week or so. It's going to be starting after Easter. And we would love for as many of you as is possible to come and help us with that journey and with that conversation. Uh, but to give you a flavor, um, why don't you listen to the Archbishop? He will appear miraculously. And you sure you haven't got the lens cap on? <laughs> I'm Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and I believe with all my heart that reconciliation is the call on every human being. We all know we live in a world that is divided, conflicted and hurting. And though many of us long for our faith to make a difference, it can be very hard to know where to start. 
The world cries out for people committed to reconciliation, whose actions and words show that a new and better way is possible. Over this series, I'm going to explore three reconciling habits rooted in scripture and seen in the life of Jesus, so we might see transformation through our everyday encounters. These habits are the habits of being curious, being present, and reimagining. Why don't you stand? I'm excited about that course. Neil and I have done it together. It's really good. I suppose one thing that I'm feeling this morning is that I was reminded this morning of why the vineyard began, actually. And it was a group of people who came out with their blessing from the Quakers, but they wanted to see God move. And they wanted the Lord to come because they knew that they all they had was to worship him and seek him and do the stuff that it said in the Bible. And listening to my darling Neil this morning, and we can't do any of this stuff without seeking the Lord first and foremost. And I just remember that group of people, I remember the story of it, and I remember my own story coming to this particular church and what caught me and I stood at the back smoking like an aggressive young woman. I was at that time when I was 21 before I got saved. And all I could see was people wrapped up in seeking their God with all their heart, with all their mind and all their soul. And that's what comes first and foremost is our time with God, our time in prayer, our time with the one who knows us, who calls us by name. This time that we're in is a different season, as we all know. It's a different call on our lives, all of our lives, to be men or women of faith and of beauty, men and women of faith and goodness and honesty and integrity, men and women who carry the Lord's love in their hearts. But we only get that. We only get that by worshipping him, seeking him, spending time in the scriptures, allowing him to move in us. Really, resilience is a good thing. Resilience has been a big word that everyone's talked about in counseling and therapy and life at the moment. But actually, resilience can stop transformation sometimes. Because resilience is like we're standing in a certain way to hold on. And I know some of you are going through so many difficult things. But I feel like the Lord wants to come this morning with his love that endures forever to give us sustenance, to give us faith, to give us hope, 
and to give us that resurrected life that we've all chosen to live. We do not want to contain you, God, in our own lives and the people around us. So like we always do before we do ministry, and I was wanting to do a time of um, um, thoughts of knowledge. So, pardon? Words of knowledge. I couldn't think of what it was just then. I lost my track. Words of knowledge. So while we're worshipping, if you have, if you ask the Lord for a, a, a word of knowledge, and then we'll just have time of people coming up to the front with the mic and just sharing their word of knowledge, and we'll see what we'll do there. But let's first... Let's forget who we're standing next to. And let's just give the Lord our full concentration. And I'm telling you guys, when I have worshipped the Lord many, many years, I have seen the Lord break in and bring me healing, bring me resurrected hope, bring me, resur bring me restoration, bring me joy and hope for the future in that moment so lord come you've been with us all morning break through us break through the walls that sometimes we erect to protect ourselves and come speak to us like only you can for you are god who speaks today and we are so grateful because you are the living god in whom we put our trust. So let's just worship together. Let's just take time to worship and embrace the Lord. <laughs> 